Hey, church family, Pastor James here. Listen, as we've been telling you over the last several months, our big focus in 2019 is multiplication and multiplication at all levels. Leaders, artists, groups, teams, disciples, campuses, and even churches. And so as many of you know, later this year, we're planning a brand new campus in Adairsville. We just had our first interest meeting uh, recently. A lot of you guys showed up for that. And I'm really excited today. As I'm out of the country over the next couple of weeks, you're going to hear from two guys that we are sending out to plant churches this year. And today, my good friend, Jason Cribb, our Adairsville campus pastor, is going to be bringing the word. So come on, help me out. Let's give him a big cross point welcome. Awesome. Awesome. How many people could use an extra hour of sleep? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, some of you were supposed to be at the 8 o'clock gathering, huh? So anyway, it's an honor and privilege to stand here and uh, be able to proclaim God's Word. Um, it, unfortunately, and I'll share this in a minute, um, it's been about three and a half years since I've stood on a platform on a Sunday morning and proclaimed God's Word. I've been in ministry uh, almost 20 years, and this is definitely an honor and a blessing, and I'm so excited. Um, As many of you know, uh, probably three or four weeks ago, I was able to share a part of my story in a video during our 21 Days of, of Prayer series. And if you hadn't gotten to watch the video, it's available online. Um, So what I want to do this morning is I want to kind of piggyback off of that and expand uh, on that information just so you know a little bit about my journey and my story and who I am. Um, In 2014, I was diagnosed with transverse myelitis. Um, It's a very rare neurological condition um, where my spinal cord is is damaged. My body decided it wanted to to attack my spinal cord. Um, It's incurable. Um, and it absolutely devastated my life. Um, shortly after that, Jory and I found out we were having a miracle boy. Hallelujah. And because we had prayed for 12 years for another child, it took us five years of prayer and just trusting the Lord to have our first son. And then 12 years later, God decided to bless us with our second in our 40s. <laughs> exactly. Thank you, Jesus. I'll, I'll take it. He's awesome. When Hudson was born, shortly after that, we were still trying to deal with life. Deal, I was trying to deal with some physical impairment, um, and we were trying to deal with being new parents. I mean, we had a teenager, and, and soon to be, we would have a toddler. And so imagine the tension in our household. We've got hormones and diapers, you know what I mean? <clears throat> Unbelievable. And so during this time of prayer... And we were seeking God's face and really leaning into the Lord. And I was serving at a church in uh, southeast Tennessee, a good church. Uh, We were loved well. The ministry was going well. And then God challenged me to do something completely radical. Um, He challenged me to go into a sabbatical season of rest. Now, right off the bat, that doesn't sound very radical because typically that's what pastors and ministers will do during the, the season of their tenure. Perhaps maybe if they're in uh, five years of service, they'll, they'll take a month off and they'll slip away. And this sabbatical season is to rest, to pray, and just to get fueled up in the Lord's and jump right back into ministry. What made this call from God so unbelievably nuts 
is that he was calling me to a year-long sabbatical. And what that meant is leaving the ministry. Even though our church was generous and gracious, I don't think a church is going to let me hang around on the payroll for a year. You know what I mean? And so God was calling me to step away from my calling in a full-time capacity. He was calling me to step away for a season of rest, a season that He wanted to really speak into me, preparing me and my family for our next assignment in ministry. And so the challenging part is that, is I resign from a healthy ministry. It's hard to do. Pastors don't like to do that. You don't really want to leave when things are just going great. Of course, you don't want to leave when things are going not so great. But we knew we, we had to. It was God was calling us to do this. And so I did and entered into this sabbatical season of rest. And still, we were being loved by our church family well. We had close friends. My firstborn, that's where he grew up in this little town in southeast Tennessee. So we were surrounded by a lot of people loving us well. But I'm going to be honest with you. I was really struggling. I was really struggling. I was struggling with the tension uh, between fear and faith in my life. I was afraid because I was out of control. I had no control over the situation. I was kind of thrust into this unfamiliar territory and I just didn't know what to expect. I had never been there before. And not like that was not challenging enough for me, God began to impress upon our family's heart to do something even more radical. Now this is absolutely bananas. Is He told us to sell our home, pack our stuff, and move back home to Georgia. And that was a hard ask. Because we, we loved where we lived. I mean, we had lots of friends and family, and, and things were going well. But God was really stretching and testing our faith. Because what He wanted to teach me and to teach us as a family is to what it looks like to truly live by faith. And now at this time, we have two children, one income which was very scary. Um, and now he's calling us to sell our home and leave. And the hard thing is, it was during a down market for homes where we lived, and homes would sit on the market for years. Our house sold in two weeks. Okay, Jesus, I hear you. So we packed our things, said goodbye to our friends, we got in the U-Haul, and we headed to Georgia. The scary part is we had no home in Georgia to come to. And there was no ministry waiting on me. We had to trust the Lord. And I'll be honest, there were seasons in my life during this moment where fear gripped me to the point that it paralyzed me. I was afraid. I was scared. But that's what God was doing. He was trying to teach us to live and walk by faith. And literally, I mean, this is crazy. Literally, like the day before we were on the way, my wife gets a call and her company just happens to have a house that they make available for us to rent when we get here. God provided. And it just happened to be the rent was just enough that we could live with one income and, and have all of our needs met. God provided. And the reason I share that with you this morning is uh, twofold. One, you can get a little, 
just to get to know me a little more, who I am, that, look, I'm a sinner saved by grace. There's nothing special about me at all. Jesus saw a, a wretched, sinful young man long ago, and he bought me back. He redeemed me, called me into ministry, and sent me out to serve him by faith. And as I was studying for our passage uh, this morning, God brought a lot of those memories to the forefront of my mind. And I think you'll see some of that flesh out as we read our text. So if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Genesis chapter uh, 20. Genesis 20 should be on the screen. There's 18 verses, and we're going to kind of read through, and I'm going to pause a little bit because it's long, speak into that, and then we'll unpack. So you ready? All right, here we go. From there, Genesis 20 verse 1, from there... Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur, and he sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah his wife, She is my sister, and Abimelech, king of Gerar, took her, took Sarah at this moment. Let's, let's take a pause. Does this sound familiar? Sounds like something I've heard before, maybe back in, in chapter 12, right? So here we have, now let's put this in a little bit of context and we'll keep reading. Abraham, remember, was, had a first row, a front row seat of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember that? And James preached on that last week where God destroyed these cities and Abraham watched. And the only one that was saved was Lot and his daughters. And remember before that, Abraham had pressed into God and cried out, that he would spare the righteous and not destroy them with the wicked. Remember that? Hey, if there's just 50, if there's, you know, he gets into this conversation with the Lord and he's pleading God's justice on their behalf. It's powerful. But the problem is there was only one righteous man, and that was Lot. And we learned last week that Lot, though he was righteous by faith, and we learned that in the scriptures, he wasted his life. He just had given his life to sinful lifestyle in Sodom. And so here we come. Abraham leaves where he was living and comes into this place called Gerar, which is on the outskirts of Canaan, the land that God had promised. And he goes into this brother-sister deceptive lie once again. And so let's pick up with verse 3. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night, and said to him, Behold, you, uh, you are a dead man because the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Now Abimelech had not approached her. So he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Did he him, himself not say to me, She is my sister? And she herself said, He is my brother? In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. Listen, then God said to him in a dream, Yes, I know you have done this in the integrity of your heart, and it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now then, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you will surely die you and all who are yours. 
So Abimelech rose early in the morning and called his servants and told them all these things, and the men were very afraid. Well, Paul's right there. Abraham enters into this deception once again, and this king takes Sarah for himself. And what we see is God come to him in a dream, and he has a dialogue with a pagan king. It's unbelievable at the display of God's grace and mercy during this this time. Instead of Abraham pleading, we see Abimelech is now in a conversation with God pleading his innocence. Will you indeed kill an innocent people? And he, he pleads the justice of God. It's in the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands that I've done this. I mean, this dude said that she was his sister. I mean, she said that he was her brother. So why? And we see that God protected him from sinning, and he also protected Sarah. Let's pick it back up with uh, verse 9. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? And you have sinned, and, and how we have I sinned against you, that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What did you see that you did this thing? And to pay attention to this, this is really the heart of our, our message. And Abraham said, I did it because I thought there is no fear of God at all in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. And when God calls me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, This is the kindness you must do to me, do me. At every place which we come, say of me, He is my brother. We'll pause. Really? See, Abraham comes to this place and Abimelech confronts him and says, Dude, why did you do this? What did you see that caused you to do such a great sin? And now I'm sinning against you, sinning against God. What's the deal? And the deal we find out in, in verse 11 was Abraham was afraid. Same excuses back in Egypt. See, Abraham, though he was a chosen one of God, called out like we are as believers, he still had this tension between fear and faith in his life. At this moment, he's walking by sight, not by faith. And so he comes in afraid, and because of his fear, he deceives Abimelech because he was afraid to die. And so that's where we begin again. Now let's pick up and finish up and then we'll unpack. Verse 14. Then Abimelech took sheep and oxen and male servants and female servants and gave them to Abraham and returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. To Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver It is a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you, and before everyone you are vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God. God healed Abimelech and also healed his wife and female slaves so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed all the wounds of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. So the big idea of our message is real simple. 
Walking by fear and not faith puts people and promises at risk. And let me say that again. Walking by fear and not faith puts people and promises at risk. And we can see this in our text. And just to make you aware of a little bit of background, in chapter 12 is when God came to Abraham and He gave him a promise. And I think Pastor Zach preached on that. It was this call of Abraham. God came to him and says, I'm going to bless you. And from you, you will father a great nation, a people of my own possession, who should bear my image rightly to this world. And essentially, we see this promise, this seed or son, and the land he would promise. You're going to inhabit a a piece of land I'm going to give to you. And you're going to have a son. And through you, all people will be blessed. And so Abraham had come into this moment, forgotten that. He, he just simply forgot. And we see all through the Scriptures, and we know even in chapter 18, that Abraham sat down with God and had a meal. God sat down with Abraham and dined with him and told him, Abraham, in one year's time I'm going to come back, I'm going to open Sarah's womb, and you two guys are going to have a son. And what we find here is, this is the time. It's about a year. And they come into Gerar and, and he goes back to this old familiar lie. Why? said he was afraid. He was afraid. And so as a result of his, of his fear, Abraham's deception puts his wife Sarah at risk. Abraham's deception puts Sarah at risk. And see, when he comes in and he goes through this lie, one of the things is automatically she's taken away from him, and now he no longer can protect and provide for her as her husband. And then from that, she becomes another man's property. And from there, she's in the crosshairs of adultery. And from there, her very life is at stake, because Abraham can do nothing now. She is in a harem a wife of a pagan king in, at risk, in jeopardy, all because of fear. He was afraid somebody would take his life, so he was willing to give up what God had given him, his wife. As I was studying, I was studying a commentary by Warren Wiersbe, a famous uh, preacher and a commentator, and this is what he said about fear and faith. He says this, that the fear of man and faith in God cannot dwell together in the same heart. Fear of God and faith in man cannot dwell together in the same heart. You will either walk by fear or you're going to walk by faith, but you're not going to do both at the same time. And we see this. Abraham chose fear, he deceived, and now Sarah is at risk. And you know, as I shared the story about me going into the sabbatical season, I can totally relate. It's real easy for us to read the Scriptures and get critical and judgmental. We're no different. We're sinners saved by grace. And even though God had provided incredibly for me through many years of ministry, many years of our life, I mean, I've seen miracles. I stand right now vertical because God chooses it so. That's a fact. I shouldn't be walking, but God decided He wanted me walking. 
all through that. And in this sabbatical season, I remember when I was studying this that, oh, that's me. There were moments where I was just terrified, paralyzed. I locked my wife out. I shut her out for a little while. During the seasons where I struggled with that, I didn't love her well. I, wasn't, I didn't mistreat her and I wasn't ugly by no means. But I just didn't love her like I should. I wasn't communicating like I was supposed to. I wasn't shepherding her. I wasn't engaging with her. I didn't provide spiritually and emotionally and physically. And because of my fear, I put her at risk. And I know what it's like. And I think it's probably safe to say some of you do too. Whether you're a husband or a wife. Maybe you're in a season right now where fear is crippling your ability to love him or her well. And you're putting them at risk. And so not only did he put Sarah at risk, he also, his deception puts Abimelech and his household at risk. See, Abimelech's doing exactly what he has a right to do. In this pagan culture, if a single lady comes in, he has a right to take her as his own into his harem and make her another wife. Culturally acceptable. But I'm here to tell you today, now you lean into this moment, because just because something is culturally acceptable does not mean it's redeemable by God. Come on, that's got to be getting one better than that. I mean, seriously, this is where we're living today. Just because it's culturally acceptable doesn't mean that God sees it as right, nor can He redeem it. Here we have this moment, this pagan guy is doing something that's culturally acceptable, but in the eyes of God, it is absolutely sinful. It's sinful. And so Abraham's fear puts Abimelech and his household at risk. Well, how? We learn in our text that God comes to him in a dream and in verse 3 and says, Abimelech, you're a dead man. Imagine getting that wake-up call. See, Abimelech was already spiritually dead because he was far from God. He was not a believer. Abraham's position was fine. Even though he it was in the middle of this deceptive sin... He is deemed righteous by faith, and we see that in chapter 15. It's not works or behavior, it's faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ that saves us. Right? Absolutely. And so, Abraham is right, but Abimelech is not. And not only is he spiritually far from God, now he's physically about to die because of his sinfulness. And so from there, not only is he in jeopardy of dying, but now he is forced to do something that he shouldn't be doing. He's forced to plead the justice of God. Just like Abraham did with Sodom and Gomorrah, remember? We just said that, we talked about that. Now you hear this conversation, this dialogue that Abimelech has with God, and it sounds a lot like Abraham's prayers over Sodom with God. Will you destroy the righteous with the wicked? Because this is what he asked him in verse 4. He says, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? And like he had to remind God, but he did because he's pleading for his life. He says, in the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. 
the dude told me that she was his sister. And she said he was her brother. Why? And so he's pleading his innocence. And God in the text acknowledges, I know, you're right. You have done this in the integrity of your heart. And because you did, now, now pay attention. We're talking about the character and incredible nature of God. Because you did, I kept you from sinning against me. That's what God says. I kept you from touching her. See, God comes in in His justice and His mercy. It should have been Abraham pleading on his behalf. But now Abimelech is pleading for his life. And not only his life, his whole household is under a death sentence. And the Bible says that if he doesn't make restitution, they all die. Verse 7 says, this is what God says, Now then, return the man's wife, for he's a prophet, so that he will pray for you and you shall live. Listen, but if you do not return her, know that you will surely die and all who are yours. If you don't do what I've prescribed for you to do, God says, you're going to die and everybody in your household. All because Abraham walked in fear. Now a man in his household, their lives are in jeopardy. They're hanging in the balance. You see the power of fear in our, in our lives when we walk in fear, what that can cause? And not only that, it gets worse. Like, really? Yeah. It gets worse. All the women in his household are now barren because of Sarah. Remember, Sarah was barren. She couldn't have children. Her womb was closed. And now God came in in power and closed up all the wombs in his household. If she's not going to have kids, no one's going to have kids. It shows us the power of God over life and death. We are powerless people. Do we understand that? We're truly powerless We have no control. Control's an illusion. God's in control. He has the power over life and death. And right here, this is precarious. And so Abraham was supposed to be a blessing to these people. He was supposed to be a blessing to bear God's image rightly. And instead, he's walking in fear and not faith, and he's deceiving. And now, all of their lives are at risk. No more children are going to happen if Abimelech doesn't do exactly what God says to do. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to get transparent. Make makes me uncomfortable a little bit, but I'm going to because I love you. During this season of sabbatical that I was in, it was not just one year. It ended up almost three years. God said, walk, and I walked for almost three years. Why? Because God had to do a fresh work in my life. He had to get fear out of my life and teach me what it looks like to walk by faith. And I'm a stubborn, prideful man. I'm hard. I learn lessons the hard way, unfortunately. And that's why I'm sharing this. I don't want you to have to go through that. But during this almost three years, when I would be paralyzed by fear and I started walking in fear... Not only would I jeopardize Jory, my wife, I would kind of shut her out. I would shut out the world. God called me to proclaim the gospel 
in word and deed. And when I was being led by fear and walking in that manner, I would shut people out. So in the neighborhood where he graciously provided us a home, instead of being in the neighborhood, sharing my faith, and displaying God's image rightly through the gospel of Jesus Christ, I was hiding out. And that's hard for me to say. Because I love to talk about Jesus. And you could say, wow, I've never seen that. When you walk by fear, that's exactly what will happen. You'll start making compromised decisions. And so I put people at risk. Why? Because I'm supposed to be the blessing for those people. And so are you. And I can imagine that some people in this auditorium this morning, you are fearful to share your faith. So you're going to go to work or school or whatever tomorrow and there's an opportunity and you know you need to share the gospel, but your lips will be sealed out of fear. What will they say? What if they argue with me? What will they think about me? And so puts people's lives at risk. And that's what I did. And there was this constant tension, this battle of fear and faith in me. And we can see that in Abraham in our text. So not only does it put, did it put Sarah at risk and did it put Abimelech and his household at risk, this is even far more, more far-reaching is his deception put God's promised son at risk. And we see that. The implication is unbelievable. In Genesis chapter 12, I think Zach, once, as I said this before, he preached the call of Abram, Abram and when God gave this this promise of a seed, what they didn't know back then, they, they had no way of knowing, is that it wasn't Isaac. It wasn't that promised seed that God was talking about that would fulfill His redemptive plan. It was His Son, Jesus Christ. We have the privilege of going into the Scriptures that God has given us and looking back through history and seeing from Isaac we can trace a straight line to Jesus. And let me read in case we just need refreshing. I think Zach shared this scripture from Galatians 3.16. It says, Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to his offsprings. Referring to many, but referring to one. And to your offspring who is Christ. Fear led him to threaten the very redemptive plan of God. But I'm here to give you some good news. When we live that way, Abraham lived that way, and we are children of God, God does not leave His promises to chance. Amen? God did not leave His promises in the hands of Abraham to fulfill them. The covenant that He made in chapter 15 was unilateral. And it had to be that way. Because His redemptive plan was too important to put in the hands of sinful man. And Abraham's fear had jeopardized this. But an incredible statement is made in verse 3. There's this conjunction... This word, but. It's a powerful little word. And in our text it says, But God. 
But God came with grace and mercy to Abimelech. But God kept him from sinning and preserved Sarah's purity. But God came in power over control in life and death and showed up. But God gives provision and protection. But God fulfills His promises. This boy stood long ago and I bowed before God and I remember going to take my life when God showed up and rescued me and saved me. But God... In His grace and His mercy and His goodness and His justice and His power and His provision. When we walk in fear, we just turn and we, all we have to say is a four-letter word. Same thing I said when I was desperately seeking, going to end my life. Same thing some of you need to say right now because I know you're living in fear. You're going to go out of this place and your mouth's going to be closed. Some of you just don't know Jesus, so your life is full of fear anyway. You want to know what the word is? H-E-L-P. Help! Help me, God. I can't do this. I'm drowning in fear. I'm paralyzed by fear. I need your help, Jesus. What about you? Jesus came in His grace and goodness and His power and His provision for me. He did that for Abraham. Because we see in our text, Abimelech made it right. Abraham prayed and God healed. Do you need that this morning? Is that you? Is God calling you to cry out for help? Or has fear paralyzed you from doing that? Everyone bow your heads and close your eyes. As we close this time together, this is going to be unique. I want you to do business with God. Bow your head, close your eyes, and what can you do? You can take a deep breath. Don't rush in. Don't panic. Don't try to help God out. Open your heart and be honest. And just cry out for help. Cry out for the grace and mercy and goodness of the Lord Jesus. Cry out for His love. Cry out for power to overcome fear and to walk in faith cry out for his provision the Bible says we have not because we ask not would you do that would you just cry out don't let this be another service where you come in and you check a box and you walk out no different than you came in let this be the day that that fear gets nailed to the cross. Let this be the day that faith gets renewed and restored. 
just cry out to the Lord. Father, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you so much for your redemptive plan. We thank you for the cross. Father God, we thank you for your power, your grace, your mercy, your goodness to us. We thank you for your justice, for how you provide, God. We thank you that you preserve your word, that we cannot hijack what you have said. And Father, right now, my prayer is that you will move in every heart in this building. Father, for those who simply need to cry out and, and surrender their lives to you and receive by faith, Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord of their lives, would you just move them to do that? Father, for those who are gripped with fear over job uncertainty or marital problems or wayward children, whatever it is, God, that's, that's causing them to walk in fear, Father, just give them the courage to cry out for help. Just help them to lean into you, God, and to receive freely what you're offering. Father, as people are praying, would you just meet needs? Would you heal? Would you restore? Would you renew? Would you give us a passion, Father, to pray? Give us a burden to share our faith. And Father, we thank you for meeting us here through your word. And Father, help us to leave different than we came in. And we make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.